This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Gerard, do I need a game model? Where do you want to start? <laughs> it's a good one. I mean, it's an interesting question. And I think probably where it would be great to, to see what people's thoughts are in the room. I think where this one often goes AWOL is when people consider that, you know, they think the game model, well, how they coach their game model, I think is key. So I think you need a clearly identified idea of how you want your teams to play. I think that is important. You know, certainly within our club, and I know you're very similar, you know, we, we've got uh, an idea, a, a model or a style of play, our identity in terms of, you know, right across these are the moments of the game. Often people talk about four moments, but we also talk about restarts and set pieces because that's a moment as well. But, you know, whether it's, you know, when you've got the ball attacking, defending, defensive transition, offensive transition... And then within that, we have, without going off on different topics, we'll have our principles, you know, of how we want to attack, how we want to defend. And then that will obviously guide how we work. So I think it's important to have a, a clear model identity, I'd probably say, of, of how you want to play the game, because it's important that how that looks for your players in terms of how you train them is key. I don't know if every coach, they might say they do, but I don't know if every coach has a very clear identity in how they want their players to play and, and what that looks like. Um, some might, but then the, the challenge with that is, does that, whether it's a game model of certain actions, moments, play, principles, you know, that, that guide your beliefs of how you want to play, does that relate to the players' strengths, you know, that your personnel that you're working with? How can you stretch and challenge players in different ways to, to get better at that? So, you know, if we're going to call it a game model at sporting, you know, we've got our values, you know, 
and that influences our model of play as well. So at Sporting, we talk a lot about winning mentality, intelligence, team first, this type of thing. You know, there's there's different areas, um, and within that, obviously, it goes even deeper. But if it was within a model of play, you know, those values must exist in. Let's take in possession, for example, like how we break lines, how we play forward, how we find the free player. Finding a free player is a big one. Rotation and balance. Because, you know, how can you rotate and interchange, change positions um, whilst always trying to remain in balance? You know, emptying and filling and, and of course, finishing. If it's out of possession, you know, how are we protect in central areas? How are we showing discipline, remaining compact, reducing space between lines, trying to regain as high as possible. But, you know, in that breath, how we prevent progression, you know, so when we've got the ball, we want to try and look to play forward, find different ways to play forward, find different ways to break lines. So the opposite of that would be, obviously, within our sort of model of play, if you like, would be preventing progression. And then that would then, you know, and and obviously we've got the same for attacking transition, whether it's securing the first pass and, and so on, and defensive. I won't go for all these. I don't want to be exhaustive, but just to give an example, to answer your question, for me, I think you've got to have a clear identity. Let's just bring it back of how you want to play. But then I think it's important that coaches then look deeper into that. Of like, If it's in possession, let's take in possession as an example. And for us, you know, finding the free player, well, what does that actually look like? You know, what are some of the different ways that you can find the free player? How do you become the free player? How do you how do you create space for yourself or your teammate? What's the identity of movements and player actions that we're looking for within a roadmap, you know, on the on the pitch as we're attacking, whether we're building up and scoring or we're trying to finish the attack. And I think that's where it becomes important for coaches. I probably want to finish on that one, Yaz, and, you know, get your thoughts on it, of that identity and how you coach it. Yeah, no, definitely. I think there's a lot in there, and I think just to just want to start by putting this out there. Really, is I don't like the phrase game model. <laughs> I don't like the phrase, and I think um, it's become a buzzword over recent over recent years. And I'll tell you why I don't like it because the reality is I don't believe you can have a game model. I think it's better suited and better better described as a playing philosophy, and I think we can stick to that reason why because philosophy is the way of playing. What the game model suggests is quite fixed. And very directed, um, of course, which the game can't be. So, you know, if, if I was to kind of give this uh, a short answer, do I need a game model? My answer would be no, throw it out of the window. <laughs> because the reality is, as soon as you, you know, that model is not suited to the, whatever's happening in the game or the needs that the model has aren't present, the model breaks down. Whereas if you've got a philosophy, if you like, and you approach it from that perspective, in my opinion, there's always room for flexibility and adaptation, so it becomes much more of a framework rather than a you know, quote-unquote model. And that's just you know, looking at it from a literal perspective. So I'd probably start by saying that. But I think certainly you know, if we go down that part of it and looking at a playing philosophy part of it, I think you definitely need to have a clear identity. So I'm, I'm very much in agreement with you on that front. Because I think who, whoever you are, the reality is if you don't have that, clear direction or clear vision of what you're trying to work towards then it, it becomes even more challenging or probably very difficult to actually measure any sort of progress or measurement of whether you're actually working towards what the end goal or what it should look like if that makes sense 
Um, but also, I feel, you know, I feel like you can be somewhat loose as well in that your playing philosophy, or you know, in, in this case, game model, can be based on certain principles and values, like you mentioned. And I think if if it's focused around those things and you've got a clear understanding of an idea and uh, and you know really have clarity on what that can or could look like for you in different scenarios. So you know, looking at what we you know what we might refer to as the what if moments when things don't go the way that we need them to go. What are the what are the alternatives? Have we have we kind of preempted what some of those things are and where those might where those things might exist on the pitch, where those things might occur, who might be involved and how that then impacts on any of the decisions that we want our players to make within the framework of our outcomes, if that if you like. Then I think we're okay with it. I think we need to have a we need to have a base understanding. But I think to I'm just not really comfortable with the term game model. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, though. It's interesting because, I mean, I I sort of started off by saying I've not necessarily called it a a model myself. I've heard the the word used, and that's why I referred to more an identity. And I've also used, like, philosophy. I mean, it could be semantics as well, because I'm sure there'll be people listening that may not have an issue with model. I mean, I think model implies that there's, a structure, which is part of it, isn't it? But I think probably what you're referring to, and I agree with, is that, you know, part of the game is being adaptive, you know, because you, you don't want to say, say you know, we're only going to, our model is, or our way of playing, whatever we want to describe it, our identities, you know, some people might say they only want to play this way. But the object of the game, we should never forget, is to score more goals than the opposition. And I think within that, you know, you've got to consider, well, how can we become adaptable? How can we develop players that are adaptable, self-learners, problem solvers? And that might mean that in certain times we may have to be more direct than others and direct with purpose or whatever. That's why within it, I mean, I've used the word game style to link to how we've, or again, I, I keep repeating it, identity, where, you know, I like teams our teams that typically especially in the club we're the same with sporting we want to play this exciting and effective possession-based approach exciting and effective because we recognize that one we're in the entertainment business and that's part of it right and you want to be exciting you want to get fans on the feet but you also want to entertain and you want to be you know bring joy to people play with joy but also be effective in possession i mean that's a key word because often, you know, there's nothing wrong with being direct with purpose and purpose on your possession. Doesn't always mean you have to be, you know, um, I don't know if I'm right in saying this, but you know what I mean? Yeah, as like purist. So for us, it's, we've got a very clear definition. It might link to what you talked about before, about like a philosophical statement or an element. So for us, it's exciting and effective possession-based approach, focusing on our collective ability to play in the future in order to create and prevent goals, with the value being able to operate under changing circumstances. So that statement has very key word, very clear key words in it, whether it's our collective ability, because obviously it is a team game, and how you operate as individuals within the team, structure is key. Um, the ability to create and score goals uh, and, and prevent goals, well, that's the object of the game. But with the value being that you're able to operate under changing circumstances, so we do a lot around that. That influences how we'll adapt our, you know, people might call it a game model. We, we talk about our style of play or our, our identity because there might be times of how we adapt. You know, I saw it today with the girls of 
how they were recognising different ways to play forward based on the state of the game and how they manage the game. Um, and equally, you know, other ways of how you're manipulating and managing time within a game. So I think that's a, a fantastic, probably something to, to talk about. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Yaz. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot in there. And I think, you know, certainly, um, I'm, again, I'm in agreement with you. But, you know, it, it might be semantics, that, you know, like you mentioned before, but I, I, I don't, and I think in, in a lot of cases, I think there is cases where it can be semantic, but I think in many cases it's not, if I'll be honest. Um, certainly because I think if reality is, if we're looking at you know, truly on a game model perspective, majority of us on this call, majority of us, or majority of people probably listening to this, um, are probably not working in professional environments at the top end of the game where it's all about three points. So... I think until until you get to that stage, I don't think you, I don't think you really can have a, you know, if we if we if we're taking semantics out of this, I don't think you really can have a game model because everything is about like you said in it being a, in a flexible and adaptable to the needs of the game, and certainly in terms of developing football, I think from from a development perspective, if we have a game model, then I think we're somewhat then we're restricting the players and what they can achieve. Surely, whereas if we say to them, right, the outcome is obviously to outscore the opposition. We're looking to explore different ways in which to do that. And, you know, in each game, that might look slightly differently based on what the opposition present us with. And who we've got within our team at the time, if that makes sense. And I think if we go down that path and stick to stick to principles of game, um, well, essentially, a game model goes out the window to an extent. Therefore, can you really have a great game model at development football? I'm not sure you can. Whereas, you know, the one would argue that, you know, well, Pep Guardiola's got a game on. Yeah, but Pep Guardiola's also got a billion pounds to spend every year. So he can actually buy the players to fit his quote-unquote game model, if you like. You know, and I think that's, I think that's a real you know, clear kind of distinction that needs to be made as well. And it's like recognising that we can have an idea, we can have a view and an opinion in terms of how you want to play. But most of us are probably going to be working in environments and we don't have the players that we specifically need to make that work. Therefore, if your game model becomes reactive and responsive to the players and it's not fixed in a way that you're trying to make it happen regardless of the environment you're in, then, yeah, I think you could have a game model. I think coming back to what you said there, Gerard, I think it's really important that you have that that underlying piece with the value attached to it. So, you know, you've talked about having the values of, you know, I can't remember how you phrased it, but essentially, of like, you know, being able to be flexible and adaptable across different um, situations. And I think that piece is key because that, that kind of gives you the underpinning of, right, this is what we're going for. However, this is also important. Essentially, the way I've understood what you said there is we're going to try and play in a particular way. However, we recognise that that might not always be possible. Therefore, we're going to have to react and respond to what happens in front of us, which I think is the best way to approach it. You know, um, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that really answers your question, but... It'd be interesting to get, I mean, there's quite a few good people listening at different levels here. So I think it'd be great to get that discussion, that debate from, from other people. I know language influences culture, shapes how we view things and it brings our game to life. And that's where I'd go back to, you've just got to have a very clear identity and, and a very clear way of how you think and how that translates to the players, I think is important because 
that's going to influence how they operate. And I think even irrespective of whatever level you're at, if we can develop players who understand what our identity looks like, have very clear values within your principles, but they can operate under changing circumstances, whether that be, you know, man down, whether that be uh, state of the games, goal differences, whatever it may be that's throwing them different challenges or how the opposition are set up. You know, if they can recognise and operate under different circumstances and be quite adaptable, you know, there's, um, I mean, if, you know, to coin a phrase, I think if you were to ask yourself, it's probably good for people listening, what's your headline? You know, if you were to define that identity of how you want your teams to play, and obviously we can get to how you'd coach that, if you were to define that, what words would you use to define it? You know, and I always like, like I got asked this question many, many years ago, and I quite like like surprise because I, I I love that word like unorthodox and surprise because it leads to that probably my bias which is being unpredictable and I think that kind of took some what you're trying to get to you know with your preferences around words because I think if I'm understanding you as I don't necessarily disagree is that you don't want to be restrictive you know in that model and then you can't get out of that or how it might restrict certain players. If I've understood you right, so I can get that because for me, I just don't want my teams to be predict like predictable. You know, I think the excitement of the game and remember that statement what we said at the start, which was we want to be exciting and effective in possession, and obviously we're in the entertainment business. You know, I think that's key and being unorthodox, playing with surprise. You know, we we did a couple of goals today through disguise and deception, and. Those are the things that catch people off, and I think that's where you, you know you don't want to be predictable, because obviously everyone's watching now. I think it's becoming harder and harder, even at the top level, where they're watching you play and they're trying to identify to what little nuances or habits that they can find to try and get one over on you. But it's difficult because a lot of that cat and mouse, people are changing. You know, it's very different to years ago where you pretty much knew and you could look at the team sheet and recognise what things are going on. I think there's a lot more cat and mouse going on now and, and that's good. That means that the you know the game's becoming more exciting. And then for us as coaches we've got to have an identity of how do we operate under those changing circumstances. But yeah it'd be great to get you know we've got a lot of experience listening. I know Tony's up speak and it'd be great to get any of the others as well. Most definitely. Tom, good evening man, how are you? Yeah, I'm good thanks everybody. Um Thanks for having me on yet again. Um, listen, all of those of you that are listening in the background, this isn't a three-man show. Please get on here and join in and, and throw your thoughts um, to, to Gerard and Yaz. Um, I found it a really interesting topic because I, I've i never actually considered that my team or my club, wherever I've worked, has a game model because th- there's... It's kind of certain non-negotiables. And if I've missed some of this because I jumped on a little bit late, I apologise for, for treading on other people's toes. So I just did a Google search on what is the game model. Um, and the first line says, the game model is how a coach wants the team to play soccer. Um, obviously, I know the guy that wrote it, actually, um, but he, uh, but but he's, he's very much Americanized it, which is fine. But for me... If my club has a, my club will have certain non-negotiables which I can buy into, but but my team within that club isn't 
it hasn't recruited. For example, my, my in my team at the minute, I've got about six centre-backs, no full-backs and only one left-footed player. So how the hell can I have a game model when it's so unbalanced? Now, there'll be people who go, well, your recruiting's been awful. But, but I make no bones uh, about it. The, the club that I'm now working for operate a pay-to-play model. So... Yes, they they're going to pay to play. They ha- they do get screened out if if we don't think they're up to the level, but but that game model has to be adaptable. Now, within my midfield, for example, I've got players who aren't particularly athletic, and we've had this conversation with them. So, whereas some of the teams in our club will play with a, a sort of a dynamic high press, we don't. We 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 sit off into a kind of a mid block uh, and only work in you know, work hard in those two thirds of the pitch, depending on the state of the game. So maybe I have got a game model, but it's not the same as the rest of the club. And it has to be adaptable to, to, to kind of suit the circumstances that, that we have to confront. So if we're playing a team who, a lot of the teams in our league always play out the back. And one of the things I read something a few weeks ago that sit off them, because after two or three passes, they'll go long anyway. Uh, and it's it's really proven to be the case. So I do think you need a, a degree of flexibility with this. No, I think you're spot on, Tony. Yeah, just before you came on, I kind of um, just made the point that for me, I don't think you can really have a game model. Because you see, I think, you know, the discussion we're having around the semantics of whether, the, you know, having an for me, what was an old, previously just a playing philosophy would work a better, better way to describe it because it's a way of playing rather than the model being fixed across, you know, the club, across different age groups. And, you know, ultimately, if you're playing in a, you know, at a level of the game where you're not able to necessarily spend X amount to get the quote-unquote right players into the way you want to play, then how can you really operate under a particular game model, if you like? So now, now, I think it's spot on. I think I definitely agree with you in, in, in that respect that you can't really have one. But I think it's also a great point to understand that actually there's some key values and things across the club environment or the, you know, the organisation as a whole in which you then provide potentially some sort of game model that is suited and you know, catered for each group within that. So I think it's a great point. Um, but no, guys, just just while, before we bring on the next person, you know, like, like, like Tony said, um, you know, it's not a three-man show, so please do get involved. Um, I think it's a really interesting topic tonight. There's a lot, lots of new listeners in the room as well, so please make sure you follow myself, Gerard and Tony as well, um, and, and feel free to get involved in the conversation. Johnny, good evening, man. How are you? You there, John? Hey, fellas. Yeah, sorry, just trying to get the mic to turn on there. How are we doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yourself. Yeah, not too bad. Been missing for a couple of weeks, so nice to get back in and listening. Um, I think it's an interesting question. Uh, the, and I think it also, I, I think it fits certain type of coaches. So I've been at a couple of academies where it has been pretty strict in terms of this is how we play, this is how we train. There's been pass counts within the game, especially in certain areas of the park and failure or success was almost judged on a pass count or certain patterns of play. And I found it really, really difficult. Uh, I like to think I'm a 
individual focus coach who tries to fit everyone into a group. And and I have to say I struggled um when I was in strict strict game models. So I think there's a maybe a I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on maybe just different styles of coaching that might fit it, whether I'm maybe someone that does really enjoy it and why I'd enjoy it maybe. So I'm not too sure I understood your question exactly, Johnny. No, I, I'm just I'm just wondering if you guys have come across coaches that that really like working in a game model, who like quite strict rules and quite specifics. Because that's not me, and I was just wondering, yeah. you know people like that, you know. Um, definitely come across, come across coaches with different views and, and and different approaches towards having a game model. I think I think what what I noticed though is um, it's just a thought, a thought for people to maybe think about is. Where I see people do, you know, religiously try and follow a game model or, or of some sort, you just, I liken it to those that have very strict and set ways of coaching and respect that if they've got control of it, if they're directing and dictating what's meant to be happening, what the outcome should be, then um, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it, in some ways it can sometimes be an ego thing where you can manage and you kind of you're not at risk of what the players might come up with instead because you're very much focused on trying to make it go down a certain path in order to control it and maintain control of what's happening. And I think so for some coaches, when it comes out of, out of their control, they don't know where they don't know how to kind of rein it back in or ride the wave, if you like. So, you know, that's probably the the observation that I would make in regards to that. I don't know if there's any specific individuals that I can think of, but um, I certainly had situations before where people are very fixed in the way that they want to play regardless of what's happening. And I think the one other thing I would say as well is that I think we've we've come towards a time now where people often have a rationale and a justification for the way they want to play, which is which is fine. Um, but your rationale and justification is only is only is only worth anything until you get to a match day and it's, and it's not working, and then it's almost like yeah, but this is the way I want to play because of X, Y, Z reason. Yeah. But the way you want to play for X, Y, Z reason isn't relevant for what's happening right now in your game, and I think that's where it becomes a bit, a bit sticky and tricky for them. Don't know what your thoughts are, OG. Or if you got anything to add on that tone. The only thing I would add is, I mean, I was gonna, I was thinking immediately how much of coach education has influenced in this terminology, or this way of thinking. You know, I was on a webinar recently with a very highly successful coach. Um, who's, who's obviously women's head coach at Celtic. Um, and that was one of his presentations, you know, whether it's about marketing or branding or whatever. Um, equally, one of the stuff, one of the guys shared something with me recently, uh, some of the stuff that's going on at a Cat One Academy Premier League club. And again, they've got, they work within a game model and it influences from first team right into the academy. I'm, I'm actually looking at it now because I remembered that, I don't want to share the name because there's a few people listening, but um, I'm looking at it on my G drive and I'm looking at what it looks like. And it, it, it's very restrictive in some cases, which kind of links to what you were saying before. And even around like when they're defending in the, the attacking for what it, how players must high press or how, how we should be in certain structures. So it's probably, it's interesting. Um, you know, are we, one, is coach education and leaders to that way? That's one question. I don't know. And then 
The other one is, you know, we've got to probably be careful that we can have these models, I guess, whatever we want to call them, identities, values, principles, but we've got to make sure that we're we're allowing ourselves the adaptability through the unpredictability of the game. Because I, I think when I look at American football, you know, there's a big phrase that's used a lot, is it, which is plays and what play are we running? And we don't want football to almost become that. And the reason why I say that is I know even at the top level now, you've got earpieces within the GPSs, haven't you? And you've got, they can actually, from the bench, communicate to players on the pitch and they can hear it. Um, similar to what you probably have, kind of similar with um, the NFL where they're talking into the headset. So I don't know if that's where, do we have to be careful of that? You know, if coaches have got this model, but does that mean that you can only play and coach that way? And how does that, like, what does that look like or mean if you haven't got players that can play that way? Or if you're up against a problem that you haven't considered, you know, how, how does it allow you the flexibility to be able to adapt in certain moments? So these will be the things that I'd throw out there. Mm. Just to kind of build on it before I bring Tony in, because I know he had his hand up. I was just thinking about this as you're speaking there, Joan, and I think it, it definitely kind of does lead... Um, Towards the direction of what's happening, like you know, such as the NFL or even the NBA, with you know where, where they've got their plays and whatnot. But I think um, just a consideration to have, really, you know, if, if coach education has had an impact on this, where does that where does that begin to have a step in? Is it that earlier 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 steps of coach education, or is it towards the latter end of coach education? Because I would suggest that to have a game model where if it is going to go down that route and if it is kind of leading towards a, a you know having plays and, and whatnot, then it's probably going to be someone who's probably in the much more experienced then that can really kind of package something like that together. Well, people are becoming more patterned, aren't they, in the, the way... I mean, I'm looking at a lot of practices where it is... We talk about putting them in game-like experiences, but then a lot of the... We've got very clear rules, or certain coaches will work within certain rules. So, you know, I'm looking at this statement here, and perhaps it's how people define it. So... Um, you know, I use the example. It's a public. It's publicly shared. So the webinar I was on recently with the MLS with Celtic talked about the game model, and they defined it as a, a clearly defined framework which outlines how their principles of football will be applied across the four moments of the game and restarts of play. So for them, that's what their game model is. But then they're very strict on. If the centre-back has the ball here, he can only do this, he can only do that. If the ball's here. And and I, I saw something similar with some of the Portuguese coaches I worked with, even in Morocco, where they were very strict on, you know, if you're defending this area, this is, you have to protect this, you know, front post, you have to do this, you have to do that. It's interesting. You know, I guess it's, is it right, is it wrong? You know, it's ultimately, does that framework allow you flexibility? you know, um, to adapt and change things based on the game, based on the personnel you've got? Uh, or is it just set rules based on the coach's preference? So is that what we're getting at, where the coach might prefer to play a certain way or in this moment I want this, but actually that isn't the best for the strengths or the, the needs of the players that he's working with or she's working with? But again, it'd be interesting to get, you know, other people's thoughts. Yeah, 100%. Just to kind of... Uh little piece on that one before we can bring anyone else in think you you know you said is it right is it wrong I think the bottom line is this it's right 
as long as it works for the players that you've got. But as long as you can recognise that when the situation changes for them, that that solution that you provided for them might not be the one that they need. So if you can then flexible, be flexible and adaptable within that and recognise that there's different parts of the game model and you've almost not preempted every possible situation that can ever exist, because there's going to be anomalies and there's going to be things that you might miss out. But if you've planned and prepped for the majority of what's happening, it makes it easier for you to kind of support the players in the understanding and when to transition from one part of the plan or the model, if you like, to the next part and kind of work their way around the whole framework, if that makes sense. So just something to think about there. Um, Tony, you had your hand up previously. I'm not sure if you still got anything you want to add there. Yeah, just just quickly. Um, the point I would make goes back to uh, to a quite a famous boxing quote. Um, and if you substitute... Um, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face, then you could say the same about the game model. You know, if you've got a game model, but all of a sudden the opposition aren't going to let you do what you want. And that's your game model, which is why the point I made before about the the non-negotiables, those non-negotiables might not be, or probably certainly wouldn't be, uh, technical and tactical type um non-negotiables it'd be you know we work for each other blah 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 we all run da 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 whatever it might be um and and that way you know you can then adapt on the fly or your players are hopefully intelligent enough to adapt on the fly um so that you only give minimal input to to what they're going to come up against you know i Again, I'm working at a level now where we we don't scout the opposition. I have no idea unless we play them earlier on in the season. Um, I don't know what these teams are going to do. I don't know what their formation is. I don't know players. So I only set my players up a certain way and hope that they will then kick on. That's the game. Or I'll when we have... Uh, you know, whether we play 420s or 240s, you know, I've got a minimal amount of time that I can actually impact that situation. But those non-negotiables work hard for each other, keep running, leave the referee alone. They won't change, but they don't, they're not impacted by what the other team does. Yeah, I think it's spot on. I think that's certainly the way that I'd approach it as well. Um, yeah, having those things there, like, but I think that's it. You know, if I look at my own philosophy, for like my philosophy is quite simple. I just tell my players, let's stick to the principles of play. Principles of play. As long as we can do that, and we can present themselves, present the principles, and demonstrate the principles in a way where they're responsive and they're delivered and applied in a way that you know they're responding to what's happening in the game in that moment, then we're on the right track. And that's the way that I look at it personally. Um, just before I bring the next guest on. Guys, just a quick reminder, obviously, myself and Jada are here every single week um, doing these spaces, so we're really interested and you know, really hopeful you guys can share the spaces, join us, make sure, you know, being part of the conversations, like Tony said at the top of the conversation, it's not just a three-man show. Um, it's great to see that, obviously, Johnny, you're back in tonight, and Apple, up next, man. Good evening, how are you, bro? Good evening, brother, I hope you're well, man. We haven't spoke for a little while, have we, to be fair? It's been a little while, but let's hear what your views are, man. Happy New Year, Happy New Year. Yeah, well, look, it's, I, I, you say views, it's, I think it's just about applying context to it because a game model, uh, where, you know, 
what are you using it for? What you know? What's this intention? Uh, at what phase of the game is it? You know, it's it's, it's it, you need to put some context on it. I think if you're talking about elite level football, competitive football, where there's there's money to be won and there's prizes to be won, and we're talking about history and prizes and these kinds of things, then I think you know game models are important simply because it's about making the game as predictable as you can for yourself. It's about familiarity. Um, and it's also, I guess, about trying to arm the players with as much information as possible, uh, how one action leads to the next action and what you actually want that to look like. Um, so, you know, it's it's a bit it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird one, but I think this is this is just the natural evolution of, of sport in general. You know, you try to refine what you're doing, you want players to to stick to to their strengths and and play to their strengths and not really any of their weaknesses. And then you try to get specific players that are strong at specific actions in specific areas of the pitch during specific moments of the game. So we're really we're really trying to get more specific uh, when it comes to game models. Um, and I think it's just one of those situations where it is very much about identity, but it's also about familiarity. You know, how has a coach seen success? How, how what's a, what? What, what, what actions did they see that led to success in the past? Maybe it was a game they were watching. It was somebody else's team. Maybe it's something they've done in the past. Maybe it's something that they saw in a game that players were doing naturally and now they're going to try to refine it and make it something that's a little bit more potent. So it's it's about streamlining and, and efficiency and how can you make your team more dominant? How can you make your team better? How can you win more games? How can you be more successful? And again, this is just a natural evolution of sport. The way that we've seen technology introduced to the game, we're seeing... We're seeing these things happen with tactics, so it's it's uh, it's it's one of those weird things because it can run in circles because we're we're seeing. I say that it's not really the dawn of a new age. I'd say we're very much uh, we're quite knee deep inside this age where where we're seeing a lot of tacticians. We're seeing different phases of play, and I think we know what kinds of players we want to see in, in certain areas of the pitch. But I think we're going to start seeing people make football simple again. And I quite like the idea of football just being simple because ultimately football is a simple game that's that's made complex by us, um, by coaches and and sometimes even by players. They make you know they kind of overcomplicate it. Um, and you know I, I think we, we we do every now and then see a team that's very very effective. Um, you know they've got quick players and they keep the game simple. Get the team get opposition teams on the turn, uh, make it difficult if they've got technicians uh, on the pits and the likelihood of them being physically strong is quite low. So get in and amongst them, make it messy, make it sticky, make it make it horrible. So it's just one of those things. And again, it's like if you if you make the game really, really simple tactically, then again you can make it just as simple in terms of principles of personality and and, and the non negotiables that that you kind of want from people uh, in, in your squad and in your game. So you're talking about non negotiables. Well, everybody fights, everybody quits. We want runners. We want aggression. We want high mentality. We want uh, what do they call it? A championship mentality. That's what they call it. A championship mentality. These kinds of things. Um, I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong way to do it. Um, it's very much about what, what suits you and the environment that you're in. Um, but I think if you're talking about developing players, then that's exactly what a game model is used for. It's, it's used for developing players, trying to refine things. And again, even for coaches at the top end of football, when they're trying to win football matches, they need to make the game as readable and as predictable as they can for their own, their own I guess, their own sense of, of, of security. Sorry, I think I lost my mic a little bit, but I think you can all hear me now. I I agree. I think it's interesting. I mean, ultimately, 
we might be, I, I keep battling myself here a little bit in terms of we might be fighting about semantics, but I do think that it's important to consider the, the adaptability and the importance of if we've got a certain way of playing or structure of playing, that's important. We've got to be clearly defined, but we also want to make sure that we're not restrictive either. You can have your beliefs, but then it's important to develop players to be adaptable in moments that are forever changing. And I think that's where, you know, because ultimately anything that we put that's too rigid, what if that doesn't relate to the players? What if the players have got better? This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply ideas or a better way of doing something in a certain area what if we want to attack or defend in a certain way based on the personnel that we've got but that doesn't fit the game model of what we've defined so there's not a constructive alignment so these would be just some counter questions that I would throw to the group and equally interested to you know draw from anyone else you know obviously uh, if anyone wants to jump in I know we've got Casey it'd be great to get from some of your experiences as well certainly considering the level you've worked at. Paul, uh, Karim, Benchifra, obviously I know in Morocco, who's uh, worked with the national team and a few other places. So anyone who wants to jump in, you know, feel free to, to unmute yourself and go ahead. Yes, you got a hand raised. Go for it. Hi, guys. Hey, go ahead. Yeah, so we'll my first love, straight after. So my first love was basketball, and a lot of, you know, the way basketball is played is through principles, instead of game models. So, like, take for example, you know, kids just you know playing pickup basketball, right? And they learn a lot of those principles just from playing it, spacing the floor, cutting if you're open, things of that nature. And then when it becomes competitive, a lot of those coaches do have game models, set plays, things they do. But majority of the game, the players are playing through principles. And I've always found it interesting when you listen to someone like Julian Nagelsmann speak about the game because he's very restrictive in his game model, but the way he implements it isn't. Um, he says a lot of his training uh, is done without, you know, listing the 30-some principles that he has. But, you know, if he asked the player randomly, hey, what are we working on here? The player could, you know, guess what the principle was. And it's interesting that he worked in the Red Bull model because everyone knows what a Red Bull team looks like. They press high. That's how they create their chances. They defend aggressively. The The ball is the reference point with everything. And it is very interesting that 
some of those coaches, you know, don't necessarily coach anything on the ball. They want their players to, you know, uh, play how they play um, when they've recruited them, what what sort of things made them good and, you know, just throwing them in there. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just something that you think of because sometimes you see those teams play and they live and die by those principles. And sometimes it's, you know, it's it works and sometimes it doesn't. So it's a really interesting uh, discussion, especially when you see teams like um, Napoli this season, the way uh, the second half uh, uh, of this season with Bayern have changed and those sort of things. They've become less restrictive. They play with uh, they play a bit through uh, some of the principles those players themselves had. For example, you know, Nagelsmann's a very possessional based coach, but he realizes some of his players, you know, they want to play quicker. They want to do this or that. And he just finds a way to plug them all in together. And I think the future of the game does uh, come with a caveat of not having a restrictive game model, but, you know, just having 10, 20 principles and not necessarily vocalizing to your players, but just the way you train and the way you develop and the way you recruit and and those sort of things. You know, I just wanted to, uh, I think you, you made a really, really interesting point when you spoke about basketball. Um, I think the difference with basketball and, and football or soccer um, is just simply, I think, the the rules of the game and the dimensions of, of the playing area kind of kind of really set set the the standard of what you can and can't do, so to speak. I think much like father side football, um, I, if I'm honest, I, I looked heavily at basketball, a lot of small sided games uh, in, in in different sports to try to help me with with, with my own coaching uh, sort of philosophy and, and sort of my my own identity as a coach when I was uh, so well, I'm still on that on that development path now, but it's. I think it's really, really interesting you start to draw comparisons between other sports. Um, but I think the dynamics of the game in basketball is very, very different to, to, to football when you've got 11 players on the pitch. I mean, there's so many more variables. Well, listen, there's an infinite number of variables, but I think in a smaller court, um, it allows you to be a bit more fluid with what you want to do. I guess, again, you can kind of just really rely heavily more on on individual talent and, and individual decision-making. Whereas it's a little bit different when you've got a very large pitch where the difference is even 1%, 2% difference in athleticism uh, and athletic capability really makes a big difference. People's speed, endurance and their stamina, um, their ability to cover large spaces or small spaces, the difference, uh, the variables in the game is just, is so much more, if I'm completely honest. Um, but again, I think um, this is a very, yes, you're a, you're a devil of a guy for this question. It's a, it's a very, it's a very good question. Um, but if I'm going to answer honestly, I think it's important that people have an idea of how they want to play. I think a game model is important simply because you need to have an idea of how you want to play because ultimately that's how you're going to recruit. I think recruitment's the most important part of football, um, almost side by side with coaching. But I think the coaching, if you've got a group of world-class players, how much coaching do they really need? Um, I think they need refining. I think they need an identity. If you give them an identity, you give them a purpose. Once you've got a purpose, you can start to streamline what it is that they do. So again, we're talking about players playing to their strengths and not their weaknesses. And ultimately, that's what your identity is going to do. That's what your game board is going to do. If you've got Neymars and Mbappes, you want them to be in as many one one v one situations as possible. You want to you want them to be in 
uh, or certainly for Mbappe, you want, to, you want it to be in moments where he's running in behind the players as opposed to always having to run through traffic. You don't want him to be in the middle of the pitch. So you need to make the game more predictable for players like him, give him an idea of what it is that he, that he needs to do or what he wants to do. Um, even more so if it's about sticking to his strengths and being more effective in games. So I think some, some teams can be more uh, direct and can be far more simple if they have the correct abilities, if they have the right athletic abilities, if they've got the right IQ abilities in the pitch and technicians, you can make the game far more simple because I guess you can rely on their decision-making. Uh, but yeah, that's it from I've rambled on enough, but yeah. Yeah, no, I think some great points for both of you there. Um, I definitely agree with what you said there about, about the, the variability that can exist and obviously the amount of independent variables there obviously are with obviously Right, having 11 players versus the five, and obviously in the biggest spaces. So I think it's a great point there as well, Apple. Casey, you're up next. Good evening. Hope you're well. I'm good. Thank you. Fascinating listening to you all. Um, yeah, I'm very much a person that believes in having a framework, but the freedom within that framework. And I think your, your game model and, more importantly, your principles um, within that, you know, is we coach based on principles, but at the same time, like one of my biggest things is how do I create decision makers? And if I'm rigid in my approach, I'm not giving my players any decisions to make. And my practice design and my session design is all based around, you know, the game and how we can put players in game-like situations where they have to make decisions based on what might happen on the weekend. So, yeah, I, I I like to have a framework. I think it helps for your coaches and for your team and your staff to understand the way you want to play, the methodology behind what you're doing. Um, but I like I like players that can make decisions. So yeah, there's always freedom within it, um, and I think it's important that you, you you're not rigid. You know, I obviously coached in the WSL and then I went to America, and the game is vastly different in America. The education of the players in America is vastly different. Um, so I had to adapt. If I'd have tried to play the same way, I probably would have got sacked within a year. So I had to adapt what I want to do. And then I have to take my time about how I start to embed the principles that we want to play to um, over time. Because also how you recruit players in America is very different. You can't just go and buy and sell and pick up players. You know, you've got a trade, you've got, a, you've got very strict rules and regulations that you've got to stick to. So I think that adaptability piece is really important. I think some great points. So just a quick one then. Obviously, you mentioned that you're coaching WSL, currently coaching in America. What are some of the key things that you think have to be consistent within your game model or, or maybe some considerations that coaches could make around key things that they have to include in that, if that makes yeah, sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, you have to be, you have to have your identity and way of playing. You know, so, something I like to have is I like to be very organised um, when we haven't got the ball. You know, I think it's quite black and white when you haven't got the ball, how you want to press, where you want to press, your approach, your line. I think when it comes to with the ball, yeah, it's putting them in a structure where they can move from within it and they can make decisions. I'm a big believer that you can stop the game any time and look at it and you're in a different formation. So they are just numbers on a bit of paper to me. But, you know, having players with kind of three or four, maybe things they can think about within each position when they haven't got the ball, when they have got the ball, because I'm not a big fan of overloading the players with too much information either because um, sometimes they just can't cope. So, yeah, I think organisation when we haven't got the ball is important in terms of close connections, distances, whether we're going to funnel you know, funnel them in or, or show them outside and kind of the movement approach, we need to be able to do that. But it has to be coached. I coach a lot of 
1v1 defending because if I'm 1v1 defending I'm also getting my attackers to attack 1v1 as well and I think you know the more we can be better in 1v1 situations uh, within the game um, the better we are more effective we are as a team um, I believe in creating and exploiting space there's so many different ways to do that whether it's creating overloads whether it's movement support um, but I want players that can see that space exploit it technically and tactically um, so that doesn't change in the NWSL in America. The game is a lot more transitional because it's a mentality thing. It's you attack, we attack, you attack, we attack. And they'd rather lose trying to win, uh, which is something I've uh, had to come to, to grips with a little bit and, and try and get them to understand moments within the game and game management and, you know, keeping the ball and seeing games out rather than, you know, trying to attack it at every opportunity. So there are vast differences um, and it's, it's the way they've been brought up and the experiences they've had that contribute to that as well. Definitely. It's a million-dollar question for you then. Do I need a game model? Yes, I think so. Yes, I think it just helps to have a framework. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for that. Paul, good evening. How are you, man? Uh, yeah, good Good to hear everybody talk. It's uh, really interesting um uh lots of good points um one of the things sort of i was at man united for years and i think it was just an inbuilt game model it wasn't we didn't really talk we we talked about it in phrases and little little things on the pitch that you would talk about that were passed on so nowadays i think you definitely in a sense if you're going to have uh, a lot of people working in an organization you, you, and you've got new people coming in the game model is a way of inducting them because everybody's got a different background and so on. Um, so it's a way of getting a common common language. I know when I went to the to the FA, they just sort of introduced the DNA um, to the to the um, well, the teams had it first, and and really, uh, Aaron Danks did a great presentation to some of some of the the staff about the process they went through. How, and it was full of arguments about, no, I don't think this, and I think it should be that, and you should do this, and so on. And you're talking about the top uh, coaches in England at the time. Someone you know, went on to win the World Cups, you know, but, um, um, you know like Cooper now is, is in there, and he had um, a lot of the guys that were there at the time, Paul Simpson, a lot of experienced guys. So that you can imagine that room would be like fireworks going off, and, oh, we do it this way, you do it that way. And in a sense, they came up then, after a lot of work, with this game model, this DNA, to help the teams. Um, and it's fantastic. The only problem is they've all left now. So you've got a whole new load of guys who haven't been through the same process and they try, they try to find it and get through it. And they did the same with the education. They, they based the A licence around it, which in one way was good because it organised it all. But for me, the most important thing is it's you at your level and at your stage of learning with your your teammates, your 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 group that come up with your version of the game model, your your language and so on, so that you you you're able to then um, organise your your thoughts and, and and the training. And in that sense, I, I at the FA I tried to sort of take the focus away from the the higher level, the eleven v eleven, the 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 formations and so on, and I came up with a little um, model. That I did six six little capabilities to talk about uh, individual and, and group skills, 
but again, it's the same thing. It's my it's my version of it. So you have to go through the process, I think. Um, but it's definitely very useful. It was for me doing you know looking at a lot of this stuff with these six capabilities that I did, and it's just like a filing cabinet. If you if you go to the research on it, mental model is just a filing cabinet. So each one of those six things I have position and body orientation, bang underneath that. You just open the file up, loads of things fall out, scanning, loads of things fall out, and you, you keep putting them in. You know, I mean, through conversations, you improve it. It's not a set model. You improve some of the things. Then it was movement. Then the next one was um, disguise, timing, technique. It's not the model. It's just a model that I think can then help you. And it's definitely helped me remember it all for, for one. So now at the drop of a hat, I can just open the scanning drawer and I know what's in it. Um, uh, and that is, you know, I go and do talks, but people go, God, there's so much to learn. But that's it. It's a lifetime's learning. You're, you're processing a sense. So uh, I think it can be very helpful. But don't be thinking, oh, I'll pick somebody else's up and I'll run with that. I think it's the whole process of thinking about it and learning, which is really important. I think you're spot on there, Paul. Some great points. Just you know, a quick question to you then for coaches that are listening to this now you talking about it being a lifetime of experience and learning what are some of the key things that you'd say coaches need to kind of throw in there straight away as some considerations to really unpack their game models um well everybody's going to come at it from a different angle depending on what they're what they are i, I de definitely was looking because i saw a gap uh, didn't think they were doing enough individual and, and connections so i looked at that and i really you know, you've got a motivation to do that on the individual side. Because a lot of people talk about game model, but they don't talk about the individuals or the connections. So for me now, I'm looking through that lens all the time. I look at the 11 side, say the, the, the Manchester Derby, I was at it, it was really fascinating. So I'll look at it from the team level. Then I'll go down into like units or, or look at the combinations, the regular combinations that are happening. And then I'll go down into individuals or pairs. And then you, you really, you start to see so much more because you're focusing on it, you're attuned to it. Um, but, but you're right, it, it can get very complex. John, when I went to Spurs John, and showed them, John McDermott said, oh, you've tidied your bedroom up, haven't you? And he, he knew what he meant. You know, you've got that teenager's bedroom and you, you've put it all into files, you put it in the right place. And it just made it so much easier. Uh, and I think you can pass that on and it's a way of teaching as well. But also, for me, it's a really good one for your interdisciplinary team because you'll have people who are more scientific, more analysts, you'll have some people who are more on the physical side, so on. But you can get them to all look through that lens. So you can go, well, OK, positioning, why is he there? What's the advantage of that? Or why is she there? Oh, they're on the last line. Or what's the body orientation? Oh, they're side on. Have they got, now they've got advantage. And then to really make it more simple, I, I think the best coaches I had, they just had simple phrases that gave you the certain concepts. So I think timing is really important. And it there's been a bit of a fad for uh, high-speed passing. Of course, it's the most important time. A lot of the time it will be. But this ball speed, ball speed, when you look at it, ball speed has got to mean the right ball speed, you know, at the right time. So getting the right weight. If you play it too fast, the person doesn't then get a chance to look as the ball's on its way. So then you're combining these little things and you can look at it. So picking up little things like that, like disguise, I do it now by you, you create your own little um, catchphrases, which I think are good for the players or the coaches because the catchphrase just, it's like an instruction book for football. The best coaches for me 
I had Eric Harrison, Jim Ryan, so on. One of Jim's for, for disguise was small, late movements. So the disguise shouldn't be exaggerated. It should look like that one pass, and only at the very last second with a small movement do you, do you get disguise. And I think that's a really good way of, once you get that idea, that concept, you can really try to focus on more disguise with your players, letting the ball run at the last second, things like that. Um, so I think, you, like you say, how do you take all that information? You, you sort of slowly distill it down into just some language that's like, um, uh, is really like a, a storybook or an instruction book. So I know Graham Carrick was at West Ham for years. They were good on third man runs. So they had a little saying, um, which was the first time set is the trigger for the run. Now, if you watch the derby back the other night, that's how United was playing as soon as the they, they, they won it back. They played up to someone who had a little set and then they played a through ball and they did it constantly. Um, so those, that would be a little instruction book to take all your big game model and just try and try and make it into sense, sensible, small, uh, small phrases for the players, I think, that direct their attention. Awesome. No, I really appreciate that. I think some great points there as well, Paul. I think you make, you know, make a great point in the run in terms of Breaking it down for the individuals with some with some key phrases because I think one thing we're definitely in danger of at the moment with a lot of um, people putting together these game models, these philosophies, and whatever you want to call them, is they become like quite lengthy in the language and, and the phrases and terminology that is used, and sometimes there's not enough clarity on what the messages actually are for players. I think that's a great point to make as well. Yeah, just one last thing. Maybe people can give me some feedback on this because at the moment I'm out of work. I'm just like thinking loads of things up in my head. So I'm trying to reduce my thinking, my game model, if you have it, to something really simple. So I'm just looking at the game as the most simple way. And I'm just saying, can we get flowing football? So the ball flows up the pitch with the players flowing up the pitch. So we get close enough to make it flow in the goal. And if... The defenders then have to try and block that, force it wide, disrupt the flow, and so on. And then if I go into any little situation, then they'll say, well, how's he getting, how is he or she getting advantage in the flow? Oh, the defender just got the body between the ball, it blocked the flow. You know, um, the, the footwork meant that they could um, open up quickly and create the gap for the flow to go through, things like that. I don't know whether that's too wacky. I'm spending too much time on my own thinking about <laughs> football, definitely. But um, to me, it's, I'm just trying to reduce it all to as simple a thing as possible, rather than just the you know. The, but it's a process. I think you have to go through the game model, the big thing, and then then sort of try and distill it a little bit. I'd be interested to hear what people thought of it anyway. Now, hundred percent. I think one of the key things has kind of come out of what you said there, and something that I like into the way I coach as well. Is- I like to use a lot of analogies and images just to describe what it is that we're trying yeah. to achieve rather than, you know, specific phrases or terminology. Because as, as, as we know, with phrase and terminology, it's often how it's perceived and how it's perceived, it, you know, it can be very different as well. Mm. I think that's a really important piece there. But I think it's definitely worth playing around with imagery and, you know, different yeah. things that kind of support the players in their understanding of what it is that you're actually trying to get to. And I think as well, with the imagery piece, it allows the players to have a bit, a bit of a creative perception of what it actually looks like. You know, they say a picture can paint a thousand words. Yeah. Yeah, Pete, Pete Sturgis had a great one for rolling and, and turning people. If you get pushed on one side, turn out the other way. And he said it's it's like flowing, you know, spinning out of a of a revolving door. 
you know. Now, maybe not all the kids would know it, depending on the age. But, yeah, you've got that image of he pushes you one side and you, and you spin out the other. I quite like that, and it fits with my flow idea. So it's it's in my vocabulary, definitely, yeah. No, good. Well, it's good to hear from everybody. And like I say, if anybody gives any feedback on that, it'd be great. Amazing. Johnny, got your hand up there. If it's in response to Paul, go ahead. Otherwise, I'm going to bring Karim in first. Yeah, yeah, just to, to pot, I was actually, I almost just answered it. I was going to say, do you find that the older you get and the more that things change, you find it harder to translate words? So I can remember a few years ago creating the on-pitch model and the players that I used as an example wouldn't be the players that the kids used. So we ended up just letting the kids almost pick. Um, and when we couldn't get the kids to pick, the players, I should say, we would just sit in a group of three or four coaches and listen to the words that they use and just pick one of them. Yeah, you're right. It's got to be something that really uh, sticks with them, hasn't it, that, that, that they relate to. Remember years ago, we went, we had a trip, we had a big tournament, uh, the Nike Cup, but we went away to Germany. Well, we went away on a tournament and we watched Saving Private Ryan. And there's a scene in there um, where they're, they're overrun by a load of tanks and stuff, but they make these sticky bombs and they run out and put them on the tanks and it you know blows the tracks off the tanks and all this. And we used this vocabulary then in the match, in the tournament, which was, um, you know, back tackling. If someone went past, you know, it was being held up by the by the centre forward, uh, the centre forward was being held up. The midfield player would put a sticky bomb in me, he'd, he'd back tackle. And they still they still use it today when I see them, some of them, you know, that's 20 years ago, but 15 years ago. Um, but yeah, the language is, is, is really good. And it, of course, it's got to relate to what, what they see, you know, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Karim, good evening. How are you, man? Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. Talk to us. Let us know your thoughts, man. Good. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, very interesting topic. I think uh, the, the key word about the game model or the game plan is uh, to be to be flexible and not rigid uh, because the game model will be uh, in in a, a straight relation with the, uh, with the quality of the players with the the mental uh, toughness of uh, the the players that you have uh, i think uh, there are very very few uh, coaches um, even at the top level, who could be rigid. Uh, one example is uh, Guardiola. He, I could consider that he's very rigid with his game plan based on uh, on uh, certain um, principles. Uh, but of course, he uh, at that level, you buy the players that will suit and fit uh, a certain game model. But I think the majority of the coaches. Uh, around the world, we are obliged to be to be flexible. Uh, I believe that to to get consistent results uh, with your team, and I'm talking most of my was with the senior players, is um, number one is based on four uh, four pillars. Number one, you need good players. Number two, you need those players to be super fit to play at a high level uh, in even more than 90 minutes. Number three is the strategic part of it and the tactical part of it where the game model come into place. And number four, 
the team spirit that you create uh, in uh, around the team and i think your game model is definitely uh, in uh, in relation with what kind of, of uh, team spirits you have whether you have uh, what level of players that you have uh, i think the more your players are slightly average the more you have to be rigid with the game plan to help you get the results but uh, sometimes you have to be flexible when you have uh, talented players who can make the difference with their individual abilities. Um, I give as, as example of uh, of we should not uh, focus only on the game plan to get uh, results and to 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 win games and uh, to win trophies. Basically, uh, taking uh, the best example is the Morocco team uh, that played the World Cup. I'm from Morocco. And um, the new coach, uh, Walid Ragragi, took over three months before the World Cup. Uh, had, I think, two or three camps, maybe three uh, friendly games before starting the World Cup. And nobody believed that we can do something. But uh, it's not the game model that helped him because to have a game model, you need time to set up uh, your your beliefs and your your ideas into um, practice. But uh, the, the 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 main factor why the team did really well was with the the part of the team spirit that was created around the team, especially that the new coach came after a very rigid, disciplined coach who. Um, didn't call certain players, uh, had a certain way, very, very rigid way to do things, and it didn't work out. Uh, personally, I, I, I believe at our, at my level, because I, and I had the, the chance to coach in different countries, is um, the easy way basically is to, um, I believe in making the team very fit. So to be able to put high pressure on the opponent especially most of the team now try to to build up uh, from the back. So you put high pressure. And uh, I work a lot uh, in, um, you know, we, we all know that there are four moments in the game, attack, defense, and the transitions. And uh, I, I focus a lot on working on the transitions. And throughout my career, I think we scored a lot of goals coming from transition defense to attack especially when we win the ball in the in the higher part of the of the field in the third uh, attacking uh, part because at that those six seconds after winning the ball the opposition team is still giving you a lot of spaces and if you work on that you you do uh, get uh, more chance to to score and therefore more chance to win games uh, and of course the importance of the transition to defend basically quickly as soon as you lose the ball you 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 pack up uh, the um, experience for example it's not easy to convince the players also to 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 work on the transitions uh, taking uh, the example of when i want to Hafia Konakri last two seasons 2021 21 22 i was the head coach of uh, Hafia Konakri in guinea and uh, there are certain beliefs that uh, they play mostly, most of the teams play a 4-2-3-1. One. 
and most of the team like to have a slow build-up. And actually, when you analyze it, because when I watch some games and even when I start with the team, uh, I notice that uh, the team basically do a medium block when they lose the ball. And uh, as soon as they win the ball, they make backward pass even till the goalkeeper. And if you... What I what I found out is basically when you there is an effort is done defensively to to win the ball and bringing the ball backward is given time to recover to have some energy to attack and when I propose that we press and when we win the ball we do extra runs to profit from the spaces available from the opponent before they close up uh, I. I I did have some resistance, uh, and uh, basically the the each place where you coach depend on the on the players how they was brought up how they was for example it's very easy to what I mean is is easier for example to have a model based on a possession build up patience where if you coach any team in Spain because the setup of most of the teams is made of based on the uh, the philosophy a bit of Barcelona. Of course, there is some uh, teams that don't uh, play similar, but in youth system, whether at the national level or at the club level, is based on uh, 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 formation of players who are very comfortable on uh, on uh, based on the technique of the players and the build up and the patience and the possession. So that's what I uh, my contribution regarding the, the the game model. It need uh, to be flexible and based on the players that uh, that are available to you. I think you made some great points, Dick. I think right at the top of the conversation said <clears throat> that I think to truly have a great game model, which is very very rigid and fixed, um, very like you. Also got a massive budget to go to go with that in terms of buying the players that suit that, but otherwise I think there there is a definite need for flexibility um, around some maybe some non-negotiable principles, but then some nice to have principles or you know ones that you'd like to be implemented amongst the players as well. So I think that's a, you know some really good points there. Okay, I guess in short, you know, for both yourself, Karim and Paul yourself, you know, similar question to ask ask the Casey. Is the is the answer yes? Then that we do we do need a game model, and is game model the best way to describe what it is that we actually need? Yes, of course you you need a game model, uh, and again I, I I come back. The more you have uh, average players, or uh, not uh, a team that is. Uh, you you are not having the best players comfortable technically in every position in 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 goalkeeper a goalkeeper who is comfortable to play with his feet um a center backs who are very comfortable with their feet in in terms of their passing and uh, um abilities to to the awareness and to build from the back uh, two side backs who are uh, very comfortable in overlapping and uh, and uh, and running through the channels with good crosses and good uh, uh, even in one-one situations, uh, a midfield who who is very comfortable in the, in uh, in creating and uh, strikers who are also good in in finishing. If you don't have 
uh, and it's very, very difficult in, I would say, in a certain level to have this uh, lux- luxury to have all these good players. The more you don't have them, the more the game model is important for you to compete, in my opinion. But even if you have the best players, you still need some kind of uh, a game model. Um, taking as example PSG, I think they have the best players, uh, but especially when you have Mbappe, Messi, uh, Neymar up front, we, we, we saw the, the Champions League games, um, it's very difficult to, uh, and we had seen different coaches try different things, but I think the game model was affected by the fact that you're having some of the best players. And when you say best players, you you say the ego maybe is uh, is bigger. And, uh, and uh, one of the things that we notice in this trio, um, of course, in some games they did it, but in many, many games, uh, the coach, who, whoever was the coach of PSG, could not count on them on on uh, on doing a quick transition to defend, on uh, on making the effort to to press as it should be, and uh, uh, the midfield of PSG always struggled because they defend uh, by seven players or uh, so. You need to find the balance between the, the the quality and the game model, but the game model is always important in uh, in football. Awesome! Thank you for that, Karim. Paul, your thoughts? Final thoughts? Hello. Yeah, got you there. Hi. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, the whole debate is is good, and it, it depends on um, you know where you're at. But I think it's a process. Just thinking about the game and and then writing it down, um, your your mental capacity to to remember stuff, uh, you have to chunk it. So that if you put it into smaller blocks, and then uh, it's like I say, a filing cabinet, you put that in, then it's a way of re- remembering it, but also then a way of getting a shared language. And, and and learning from each other, like I said before, if you've got a uh, um, a multidisciplinary team now, they've all got different skills, different backgrounds. So to get the best out of them, I think you need a, a a way of seeing the game through the same lens, and then saying, "Well, go on, give me your input on it. How would you do that?" Um, that happened to me a number of times doing courses. I was doing a turn, come short and spin and open up, um, but I wasn't coming short enough. And uh, Danny Dicchio is the centre forward, used to play for Coventry. I think he's in Canada now, isn't he? Um, coaching there. And he said, he just pulled me and said, well, no, you really need to come come forward a couple of yards because if you don't, a good centre half is going to play offside. So there's that bang. That's like, oh, I just adjust my playbook or whatever. You can. No, and it's not a playbook. It's just your, it's just your knowledge, isn't it? Um, and then you'd, you'd, you'd do that when you were coaching the players. Um and you might find a little phrase for it, you know. Um, but definitely the old ones come short to go long and all that. I think what you're trying to do eventually is re- reduce it all to little phrases that all the team knows and can connect with. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. No, I think it's spot on. I think those, those phrases are definitely something that I've looked at trying to apply within my own journey and my own coaching environments. Um, and I found it very useful. And you, you soon find which ones land and which ones don't land with the players as well. And, you know, I think that's a, a surefire way to get started and kind of adjust and amend 
but also recognizing there might be some that fit based on the age group and the experiences of the players based on you know what their previous coaching journeys have been like and rather what they've been exposed to from a coaching perspective, but also what levels they've played at. So I think there's you know, some great points both from yourself, Paul, Karim, um, and everyone else who's been involved in tonight. Guys, you know, just a quick reminder, obviously myself and Joe are here every week um, doing these Twitter spaces around different topics. Um, so if you've got a topic or you've got a question that you want us to kind of unpack and share some views and insights on, then please feel free to get in touch. Gerard's had to obviously leave us earlier than um, than obviously planned initially. <clears throat> but please make sure you're following both myself and Gerard for future conversations. Um, massive thank you to everyone that's been involved in tonight's conversation. Tony, Johnny, Paul, Karim, Apple, Casey, and HB. A massive thank you to all of you guys. Please make sure you're following us, guys, if you're not already um, to make sure that you can be part of the future conversation to take place. And just a quick announcement as well. Myself and Gerard are running a webinar this coming Wednesday on individualized player development. So if you want to be part of that and you know get enrolled get enrolled onto that webinar, let us know. You can get CPD hours for it if you're based in England. Um but no again massive thank you to everyone that's been involved in tonight. It's been a fascinating conversation. Again, if you haven't caught the whole conversation, it will be available on the Coaches Network podcast where you can hear a range of different um, guests and insights discussed. But until next time guys, again massive thank you. Have a great evening great weekend and um, take care well there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys take care This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.